This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you are joining us today. Today's episode is episode 358, and my guest is Hayden Hawks. If you are into the world of ultra running at all or follow it at all, you definitely know who Hayden Hawks is. He is sponsored by Hoka, and he has won so many ultra races, I don't even think I can name them all. But to name a few, he holds the course record at the JFK 50 miler. First place there in 2020 in a time of 5.18.40. He's won the Chuckanut 50K. We've had the race director, Chrissy Mail on this podcast. The Broken Arrow Sky Race 52K, Black Canyon 100K, the North Face Lavaredo Ultra Trail 120K, UTMB CCC, first place and course record in 2017, Moab Red Hot 55K, And in 2016, when he just started dipping his toes into the world of mountain running and ultra running, he was on the Mountain Running World Championship team, which was the first time in USA history, a very big deal. In this episode, we talk about his breakout race in 2016 when he signed up for the Speed Goat 50K like one day before the race and ended up winning the whole thing, which is crazy. We talk about Western States. He ran Western States last year and did not have the race he desired, but he has worked on all those things that he thinks led to the problems at the end, the very end of that race, and he's going after it again this year. Hayden is the father of two. He's also a coach, and he has like such an amazing mindset and the joy that you can feel from him when he talks about what running does for his life is contagious you'll feel it too. He started off in his running career as a fast road runner. You know, I mean, he has a sub 14 minute 5k PR. He ran for Southern Utah University. That's where he met his wife. We get to hear all about that in this episode as well. And what his big dreams and goals are for this year, next year and beyond. Hey, I'm super excited to let you guys know that Um, This episode is sponsored by Prevenex and their Joint Health Plus supplement is back in stock. They were out of stock for a little while and I am so happy to say that it's back. The Joint Health Plus delivers ingredients that are clinically proven to offer the most comprehensive and complete joint protection and relief available. I take this every day and I've had so many people who listen to this podcast reach out to me and say, oh my gosh. I did not know what to think. I did not know if this would work, but it worked and I feel so much better. If you are looking for some joint relief or preventative care there, definitely check out their Joint Health Plus. They also have multivitamins and delicious vegan protein powder as well. Their products are clean. They're effective. I really believe in what they're doing there. And if you haven't checked it out yet, go to Prevenex.com. Use the code ANOTHER and that'll get you 15% off your order. That's Prevenex.com. Use the code ANOTHER and that'll get you 15% off your order. All right, friends, guess what? I've been begging you for iTunes reviews for like, I don't know, five, six years now. (laughs) 
And uh, now apparently they do them on Spotify too. So if you're listening to this podcast on Spotify, leave a quick rating interview. That would be super helpful. Also, if you're listening on, on iTunes, do that as well. If you do leave us a rating and a review, make sure you email my assistant, my production assistant, Emma, Emma at sandyboyproductions.com, and we will get you entered to win a pair of Gooder sunglasses. We are drawing a new winner every single month, so get in on that. I guess Spotify is just trying to take over the world here. I thought Apple was going to be king forever, Apple iTunes, but I think Spotify is trying to dominate. So for searchability purposes, I believe my show will show up in more feeds when people search for it if it has more ratings and we all want more people to find the show. So anyway, I appreciate those of you who have already done so and uh, yeah, I would appreciate it if you would go do it if you haven't yet. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Hayden Hawks. Well, today on All Have Another, we have Hayden Hawks on the show. Welcome to the show, Hayden. Hey, thanks, Lindsay. Yeah, I'm really excited to be on the podcast. Uh, I've listened to your pod quite, podcast actually quite often, and so does my wife. We listen to it. Both of us listen to it a lot. Well, that means a lot to me. I'm really grateful. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. What has your morning of training looked like today? Well, <laughs> I just barely actually got done with a workout uh, in a snowstorm here in Cedar City, Utah. So we live at about 6,000 feet elevation and woke up this morning thinking it was going to be a, a nice sunny day and there was a snowstorm. And so had to go outside and get my work done anyways and um, had a nice little 40-minute tempo session out on the trails and it was a Ended up being a good workout, but it was definitely cold and definitely really windy. <laughs> what does that look like? Like, how much do you have to slow down because of those conditions? Well, you know, as a trail runner, I'm mostly based off of effort, um, just because most of my my runs are on trails. You know, it's rolling, um, a lot of uphill workouts, different things like that. And of course, you can't really base stuff off of pace because uh, you know marathon pace or or tempo pace is going to look a lot different on a flat. Uh, road than it is on on a big mountain or a single track trail and so yeah I, I just put based it off of effort today um, just 20 minutes moderate effort and then um, went down to about 20 minutes at marathon pace effort uh, maybe a little bit faster than that and so maybe that with the conditions it, it slowed it down a little bit but the effort was there and that's what matters to me Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like even if you're training for marathons, people should be running based on effort, right? Oh, for sure. You know, I, I coach quite a bit of people. And as a coach, that's what I always uh, preach is is base everything off of effort. You know, pace, yes, while it can be important, um, it's, it's really hard to control pace all the time, especially with elements or wind or whatever you're dealing with. And so I think effort is definitely the most important thing to base it off of. And and most of the time, if you run off of effort, you you end up running a great workout or you end up even setting PRs in races a lot of the time. Yeah. Can you give us a little advice on how to become a better hill runner? I recently moved to a very hilly for me, not hilly for you, but hilly for me area. And man, I am struggling on these hills. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I come from a, a track and field background where in college, you know, we only ran flat. Like we would pick the flattest routes possible um, and then when I became a trail runner and a mountain runner I learned to embrace the hills is is most important I, I think that 
you know, you have to love it. You have to love to climb and you have to find joy in it. Um, you have to look at it as like a, I don't know, like I look at it like this, like I, I look at it as a challenge, like, and when I accomplish that, when I reach the top of a mountain or I, when I reach the top of a hill or, or crush a hill repeat workout, I, I find so much joy in that. And, and I use it as a confidence builder. And I just think to myself, like, wow, I just did that. You know, that was an amazing accomplishment and it's going to make me a better runner. And so you have to embrace it and you have to find joy in it. I love that. You have to find joy in it. Okay. So when it hurts everybody, just like look for the joy, <laughs> look for the joy. That's why we yeah. do this, right? Yeah. It's fun to hurt. I mean, I, I personally think it's, it's, it's kind of fun to hurt. Like, uh, it pushes you, it makes you a better person. It makes you a better athlete. You, you learn more in those really hard moments when you're hurting than any other time, you know, like easy days. Yeah. They're, they're fun and everything, especially when you're running with some friends and whatnot. But you learn so much and you grow so much in those hard moments in workouts or races or whatever it is. And uh, honestly, that's what I love about about hills is is hills are hard. And I've grown and learned so much because of, you know, I've learned to embrace the mountains and the hills. You know, it's so interesting because people who don't run. When they hear even, you know, like an everyday runner like myself talk about running and how good it feels, it sounds a little crazy to them. And then for the everyday runner like me to hear you say like, I love it when it hurts, you know, it's like, is that a certain breed? How do we, how do we embrace that hurt? I think that's a lesson we could all learn from and also become a lot faster if we would embrace that. Yeah, I mean, I think as endurance athletes, we all are maybe a little crazy. You know, we <laughs> maybe have something in our in our brain that just like uh, tells you know loves pain, loves you know just pushing ourselves. Um, you know, maybe we're not quite to the level as as an Alex Honnold or a Mark Andre Lafleur. You know, you might have seen the the new Alpinist movie, um, but I think there's a little bit of that in in all of us as endurance athletes. Especially, I know, especially me as an ultra runner, there's definitely in that, or there's there's that in my mind where I love, I actually love pain. I love pushing myself. I love going hard, and and honestly, I I don't think I can live without that. Listen, you might be really good at childbirth. <laughs> I, I don't know about that. I, I've uh, <laughs> been at the childbirth of of two of my children so far, and I've seen my wife do it, and man. I respect her so much. I mean, I don't think I could have went through that personally. <laughs> it's it's uh, I do remember the first or the the second baby because my first baby was a C-section. I do remember my second baby saying marathons really aren't that hard <laughs> compared to what just went down. Yeah, that's what my wife said. My wife's like after she had our second baby, she did it all natural, actually. And uh, she was like. I, I can accomplish anything now. <laughs> and I was like, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Um, talk to us about your wife. When did you guys meet? Uh, we met in college. So we both attended Southern Utah University. We both were on the cross country track and field uh, team here in, in Cedar City, Utah. And uh, yeah, we, we met on the team. Um, it was pretty cool because at the time she was the number one girl on the team, the top girl on the team. And I was the top guy on the team. And you know, we started dating. We met at camp, actually. Um, we did this little summer camp every year. We went up to, like, altitude at 10,000 feet and stayed up there for a week or two. And we met there in, in the hot tub at camp. And uh, 
I was like, you know, she's, she's pretty cute. And, uh, by the time camp ended, I asked her on a date and we just kind of dated throughout college and then got married towards the end of college. And, and yeah, I mean, it was, it was an awesome, you know, four years or five years, I guess, with a red shirt year running at Southern Utah university and being able to share a lot of moments and travel with my wife was, was just amazing. And, uh, I definitely am the ultra runner. I'm the runner. I'm the person, the man I am today because of her. I mean, she's definitely my strength and, and helps me so much in, in every aspect of life. Yeah, that is so cool. What a love story. The number one runners on the team. How cute. <laughs> um, when you decided you wanted to get in the mountains, did she start running in the mountains too at that point? Um, yeah, kind of. Um, at first, she, she didn't really embrace the trails as much as I did. You know, I grew up in, in, in St. George, Utah, near Zion National Park, um, near a lot of national parks. Grand Canyon was only a couple hours away. And so as a, as a kid, I was always out on the trails, you know, either hiking or camping or running or doing something on the trails. I, I did a lot of mountain biking when I was younger too. And uh, I loved being outdoors. I loved being on the trails. And so I think kind of growing up that way, after college, it made me embrace the trails because I was like, well, I can put two of my passions together. I can put the outdoors and running together, right? And uh, my wife, she wanted to kind of go more of the road route. And so she she tried some road marathons at first. Um, I think what happened is uh, she went on a trail run with me one time just out of college, and she ended up falling um, and smashing her face into a rock and breaking her front teeth, like her two front teeth. Oh, gosh. And she had to get her teeth all fixed and everything. Oh. And so that was kind of a traumatic experience where she's like, I don't know if I, I'm cut out to be a trail runner. And then as, as she went to a lot of my races, you know, she traveled across the ocean to over to Europe with me and seeing these, these races and had these experiences, she was like, well, maybe I want to get into it. And so she started getting into it a little bit. And uh, she actually was really, really good. Um, she got better, you know, technically, and she ended up winning the U.S. 50-mile champs in 2019, um, right before we had our second kid here. And yeah, now we both run trails, and I think we both really enjoy running on the trails. Wow, that is legit, for sure. If she won that, geez. Um, talk to us about your first trail race that you won, Speedgoat 50K. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's kind of a big uh, deal that you like, I'm going to debut and then I'm just going to go ahead and win as well. Yeah, um, it was definitely an experience. Let's just say that. Um, lots of highs, lots of lows, but I ended up coming out with the victory. Uh, I ended up, uh, many people probably have heard this story. Uh, it's kind of what got me started in the sport, but I, I signed up on a whim, you know, signed up the day before. Um, I'd ran a, a trail race, the U.S mountain running championships out in new hampshire uh a few weeks before which was only 10 kilometers and loved it absolutely loved it and then i had a friend who was running speed goat 50k and he invited me to go do it with him and i told him no i was like this is too long i'm not ready for 50k yet you know um, that 10k was hard enough and then i just got this feeling like the day before the race i was i was sitting there I just kept getting this feeling like, Hayden, you need to do this race. Like you're ready for it. You know, you've done some long runs, like this would be a lot of fun. Like you should just go up and do it. So I called him up and was like, Hey man, can you get me in? Um, he talked to the race director. Luckily the race director got me in. Like 
he usually doesn't do that, but uh, especially because it's considered one of the hardest races in the world, the hardest 50K in North America. And I went up and I was like, you know, I'm just going to go out and have some fun. Like I get to go run in the mountain for hours. Like, how is that not going to be fun? And uh, I went out there. I, I took the lead from the start, just kept pushing, kept pushing, kept pushing on, on these guys who at the at the time I didn't know who they were, but they were some of the best ultra runners in the U.S. at the time. And and I ended up coming away with the victory, you know, and uh, it was definitely a special day for me, but it was a really hard day. I remember bonking really hard the last like three or four miles and uh, barely <laughs> scraped out the win. But I, I got the victory and that's what kind of started my ultra running career. And I, I just fell in love with ultra running after that. So your lead was big enough that like, but if you had a couple more miles... They, because I'm thinking these guys, if you if they were big names in the ultra running scene, they were probably thinking, what is this rookie doing going out taking the lead right at the start? We'll catch him. Yeah, I mean, the guy that took second, Alex Nichols from Colorado, I mean, he's been second at Western States 100. Like, he's a legit, you know, contender on the trails. And uh, yeah, he's a really good downhill runner too. And I, at the time, I was not good at downhill. I mean, I was coming from the track and the road. Like, I, I had no downhill experience, but I was a really good climber just because I, I came, I had so much fitness, you know, left over from track that my engine was so big that I could climb really, really good. And so I had a big enough lead by the time we got to the top of the climbs. I think I ended up breaking like the record for the, the first climb wow. to the top. And uh, my lead was big enough that I was able to hold him off on the descent, luckily. I mean, if it would have been a few more miles, I he, I think I only won, won by two minutes. But uh, I've since become a lot better downhill <laughs> runner. <laughs> and, uh, but at the time, I was literally walking down the downhill just because I was so nervous and and, uh, but yeah, you know, it, it taught me that, you know, anybody can really get into this sport if they want to, it just takes time and takes experience. I mean, if you don't think you're a good downhill runner, like just go get on the trails more and you'll become a good downhill runner. You know, I, I, I won Speedgoat 50 K as a horrible downhill runner. Um, but now I'm a pretty good downhill runner and, uh, it just takes time and experience. And if you really want it, I mean, you can accomplish anything. Well, I was going to say, like, what makes you a good downhill runner? Is it just the experience because it's it feels dangerous and scary at first? Yeah, I mean, it's like anything, right? If you jump on a mountain bike and try to go downhill, you're probably going to be a little nervous because you're, you're afraid of crashing, you're afraid of hurting yourself. Um, it's the same thing, you know, especially on these really technical downhill stuff. Like, like you got to realize, like, Speedgo 50K is pretty technical, especially that last descent. I mean, it's really rocky. Um, and, and that's not even the most technical. I mean, you go and do sky running races out in Europe and you're literally running down ridge lines where one little step, you fall off a cliff and you could die, you know, and it's, uh, you know, but that's part of the sport and, and, and it's part of the sport that I love. Um, but you had to, yeah, you just have to get confidence is the most important thing. And you have to get that fear out of your head. Like, you know, if I fall, like probably scrape myself up a little bit, might have to get some stitches, but probably not going to die. And, and so like, what, what I'm just going to go and, and push it. And, and you have to, you know, you have to get used to your foot placement. You have to get coordinated. I mean, there's a lot of little elements, but I think the biggest thing is getting rid of that fear when you're descending. Probably not going to die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, I've talked to Brittany Peterson on the podcast before about sky racing a little bit. What do you love about sky racing? 
I mean, the, the cool thing about any trail race is, I mean, the places that we get to see. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're running on ridge lines in in the Alps in Italy or France, you know, you're running up in Norway on some of these ridge lines. I mean, it's it's beautiful. It's amazing. Um, especially a lot of these races start in the morning. You get up there right when the sun's coming up. I mean, it's breathtaking. It really is. But but I also like that, you know, with road running, it's 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 really fun. And I, I still do some road running. I do still do some track racing, uh, not racing, but workouts. Um, but I would say, like, it's very controlled, you know, like you, you, it's all about your fitness a lot of the time mm-hmm. and how fit you are is, is how good you're going to do. But with trail running, there's a in sky running in particular, there's a lot of other elements that you have to control and you have to train. I mean, you have to train the technicality aspect, the nutrition aspect, because you're out there a lot longer. You know, there's there's all these other key elements that you have to train and that you have to try to control. And of course, you're not going to be able to control everything. Like it's it's just impossible. But you do your best, and and I, I kind of like that. It's like a, it's like a big puzzle. It's like mm. a or a math problem that you're trying to you know um, solve, and and that's what's really cool about trail running and sky running and. And there's a lot more things that you have to train and and try to control. Hey, everybody. Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited to tell you that Koros has signed on to sponsor this podcast for the year. So once a month, they're going to be having advertisement spots here. And I am just thrilled because I have been wearing my Koros watch since 2018. I love it so much. I cannot say enough good things about the battery life on this watch. It is so easy to use. The easiest GPS watch I have ever used, in fact. And it's just, it's not often that a brand comes along and disrupts the GPS watch market in a way that Coros has. It's trusted by Molly Seidel, Emma Bates, Hayden Hawks, who we are going to hear from today about the watch. Sally McRae, and so many others. Coros GPS watches can be found on the wrist of athletes all over the world, built with advanced technology and an efficient and intuitive user experience. You know that when you strap on a Coros product, you are getting a tool that has been designed, tested, and perfected for the runner by the runner. I'm going to leave you here with a note from Hayden about the watch and hey, you all can use the code ANOTHER to get yourself a free um, extra accessory item with your purchase when you go to coros.com. All right, let's hear from Hayden. Oh, I, I love the Coros watches. Um, you know, I've, I've worn every watch, you know, over the years. Um, I think the biggest thing I love about the Coros the watches, like right now I'm wearing the Vertex 2. Um, the biggest thing that is the, the battery life. <laughs> I mean, it's... It's amazing. Like you cannot beat the battery life in, in Coros watches. I mean, I have done some really long stuff, like 24-hour type stuff, and I don't even worry about my watch dying. I mean, like it's completely accurate, you know, and and it will last forever. And uh, the watches are extremely durable. I've never had an issue with them. You know, I've been with Coros for like four or five years now, and I've literally never had an issue with Coros watches. Um, the company is an awesome company to work with too. Um, you know, I actually went out with uh, the CEO of Coros to China and ran a race out in China a few years ago and had an incredible experience out there. And just like the people that, that run Coros and, and what their 
focus is and, and what their drive is is just just amazing. Um, you know, they, they are truly trying to improve and be the best watch company that they can be. You know, they're always coming up with with new things that that make it easier for the athletes. Um, and I've absolutely just loved the watches so far, and, and uh, I plan on staying with Koros and using the, the product for the rest of my career. All right, friends, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Hayden. What do you do when you're in the middle of like a real technical race and a piece of the puzzle is like not working out in your favor? Like, what do you do mentally to get yourself in the right place? I mean, that happens all the time. (laughs) It really does. Um, You just have to, again, you have to embrace it and you have to, you know, I usually have an A plan I have a B plan. I have a C plan. Like, okay, I've done this enough times. I have enough experience. I've dealt with all this in training because my long runs, you know, a lot of my long runs, I will try to mimic the race, like try to on similar terrain, the pack that I'm going to wear, the nutrition I'm going to use, all the gear, everything. So that way I know like, okay, if something were to go wrong, I, I, I have a B or a C plan that I can get out of it. And I think the biggest thing too is just to not, not freak out, you know, not be dramatic, um, just stay calm because there's always a way out of it. Um, you just have to think for a second and try to, um, you know, come up with a new plan and, uh, you can always usually get out of it as long as you stay calm and relaxed and, and you just kind of stay in the moment. I think that's really good advice for life in general. (laughs) Like, like don't be dramatic about a situation that, that it comes up because I oftentimes do that with like health related stuff. I freak out. And it's like, don't be dramatic. Just like, let's, let's figure out this puzzle and take a step back. I love that advice. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of trail runners are very calm people. Mm. You know, they're, they're pretty free spirited people. Mm. Um, they just like being outdoors. They don't mind being alone. You know, I know I'm that way and I'm pretty calm, you know, and, and it's just, that's how I live and that's my lifestyle. And, uh, it rolls over to the trails really, really well. You know, you look at some of the, the greats in the sport, like Courtney DeWalter and, and Francois Dehaene and Killian Journey, they're very calm presence mm-hmm. to be around. You know, they're very positive people. And I think that's a strength, especially in ultra running. Yeah. I haven't talked to the other two that you mentioned, but I've talked to Courtney a few times and yeah, she's very like chill. And you, when you're talking to her, you're almost like, I cannot believe you can do the things that you can do based on how chill you are right now. But that's probably why she can do it. Yeah, I think when you're calm, um, when you can compartmentalize, mm. you can, you know, focus on the moment at hand, you can really dig deep into inside your mind and you can really, you know, find solutions out of problems. You can push yourself really hard. Um, a lot of the great athletes not just in our sport are like that. You know, I've been watching this documentary called man in the arena about Tom Brady, Mm. which is on Hulu. And, you know, Tom Brady is definitely an athlete that I look up to just his long career that he's had and and his success. And that's one thing he talks about. And his, his teammates talked about it in the documentary is how he can compartmentalize better than anybody. They know he focuses on one game at a time. He stays in the moment. He's very, it's hard to like, you know, make him flustered. Like he, he just is 
very calm and he's very controlled. And, and I think that's something you have to have as an elite athlete if you, if you want to be one of the greats. You know, it's funny that you brought up Tom Brady because my husband and I were talking about him. I feel like we talk about him too much, actually. But we were talking about him the other day. And um, I was like, what if we ate like Tom Brady for like a month? Because, you know, he follows this like very strict diet, like very strict anti-inflammatory diet. Um, it's it's kind of a weird diet. But I'm like, I wonder how much that really uh, plays into how long he's been able to do this sport, like how perfectly he curates his food. I mean, he clearly has like a chef that's probably making all of his meals. But then we looked up what he eats and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Oh, no, I don't think I want to try to do this for five days, let alone a month. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's doing all the little things, though. And I think that's what it takes to have a long career. You know, like, uh, he really is dialed in. He's focused. I mean, that works for him. And it's not to say that's going to work for everybody. There's there's different things that work for everybody. Um, but like, I think there are key elements that you need to look at. And you'd be like, it's not always about training hard. It's about training smart and doing what works for you. And if, if you're able to do that and you're able to really dial in those things and, and really find out what works for you, you, you can stay healthy, you can have a long career, and uh, you can have a lot of success. Yeah. Talk to us about how much time you spend on like the recovery aspect and how much detail you pay attention to making sure that you're refueling your body with food that's going to make sure that you're able to do what you set out to do. Yeah, you know, I, I train really hard, um, and I've always said this, that there's no such thing as, as overtraining. It's only underfueling, mm. and so I focus a lot on fueling um, because if I'm going to train as hard as I, I do and try to put in all this time and, and this effort, I need to be fueling my body. I need to be replacing what's getting, you know, put out, and so I, I focus a lot on that. You know, I, I eat a ton. Um, I hydrate constantly throughout the day. I'm doing all the little things every day. I have kind of a routine that I go through every day. You know, sometimes that includes my sauna, using my sauna um, often, you know, because that's a great way to to aid in recovery and relaxation. Um, sometimes I meditate while I'm in the sauna because it helps me get into this mental space as well. Um, I use my recovery boots every day. Mm. You know, I'm doing proper warm ups before I do runs, you know, I'm, I'm making sure I get in um, the proper carbohydrates and proteins after runs to aid in recovery. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I have this kind of routine that I do. And it's just kind of become a habit where um, I've done it for so many years that it's, it's worked. It's, it's really helped me. Um, it helps me recover faster. It helps me to hit the workouts when I need to. And I've been able to stay relatively healthy for, for most of my career because of that. And so I think it's, it's, you have to do the little things, you know, and you have to find time to do those things. I, I plan it out every single night before I go to bed, like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And uh, I make sure I get those things in because I want a long career. And, um, you know, if you're not doing the little things, it's going to be really hard to accomplish the, the big things. You're a father of two. How's the sleep situation going? <laughs> well, uh, like I said before, luckily I have a, an amazing wife Aww. who <laughs> really supports me and helps me. And uh, she's kind of maybe taken a little bit of a step back in her career mm. um, to help me just because we've, we've realized that like it's really hard to have two really high-end professional athletes in the home. 
um, one of one person always has to maybe take a little bit of a step back. Um, and she wanted to, I mean, she chose to do that and, and she said, I want to help support you in your career, which I, I'm very, very grateful for. You know, I, I support her and her goals and, and things that she wants to accomplish too. And, and we work really good together. You know, I, I feel like we're, we're, we're best friends. We, we mesh really well together. Um, so she probably takes a lot of the load, you know, at night with the kids, but luckily too, we've had really good kids that sleep through the night. Um, and so we've been able to, uh, get good sleep. And, and that's one thing that I do actually prioritize is sleep. Um, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll push a workout back in the morning, just an hour or two. If I, if I feel like I need an extra hour of sleep, just because I think sleep is the, one of the most important elements of recovery. It's, you know, sleep is where you really get the gains because you break your body down with the workouts and the training and in sleep is where it rebuilds itself and it rebuilds itself even stronger. And so if you don't get the proper sleep, if you're not getting the proper rest, you're never going to rebuild and you're never going to get stronger. You're just going to continue to break your body down. And so I, I do prioritize my, my rest and my recovery uh, when I need to and uh, make sure that, that that's an, um, an important part of my training program. Okay, so you, wrote, you ran Speedgo, what was that, 2016? Yes, yeah, 2016. Okay, and so when did your first child come? 2017. Okay. Um, yeah, August of 2017, so right before I ran CCC 100K, like two weeks before we had our, our first child. Um, were you nervous to go over there? Like, what if she goes into labor early? <laughs> Yeah, we were kind of going back and forth on that. I had a plan B, like I, I was going to cancel my trip and, and if she was late. Um, of course, I want to be there for the birth of my child. Like that's way more important than any race. Um, but I uh, luckily it worked out to where she had the, the baby. Uh, we live close to family. So, you know, her mom was able to come help her after. Oh, she had the baby. baby and then you went two weeks later. Yeah, I'm yeah, backwards. It was, I was, it thinking was two, two weeks, weeks after. Uh, the race was two weeks after. So luckily she, she had him on time and uh, I was able to go out and, and do really well at CCC that year. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you, so you had a couple weeks before you headed over. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I was totally yeah. backwards on that. Yeah. You won, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> kind of <laughs> a good won, year. Uh, yeah. It was, it was an, a really great race. And but th this is the funny thing with it, Lindsay, is is the training wasn't optimal going into it because, I mean, my wife was pregnant. I had to stay close to home. A lot of my runs ended up actually being on the flat, like, terrain where we were living because we were living in St. George at the time, and there's not a lot of mountain access in St. George. It's more desert terrain. And so I wasn't able to do a lot of, of runs in the mountains and get a lot of vert. I was mostly, like, just focused on getting quality in, and, and my mileage wasn't great, my vert wasn't great, but I was able to go out there and still win the race. And uh, if you look at it, you'd be like, how did he win off of that training? But I, I think I learned at that moment that training's never going to be perfect, mm. but sometimes you just do the best that you can and you, you, you stay confident in what you can do and, and you let that give you confidence. And, and if you have that confidence going into a race, you can accomplish great things. So, I mean, that way you were like fairly early on and like you're super competitive ultra running then and you knew your training wasn't like spot on how did you not let that get to you I mean now you know 
You know what I mean? You know what you know now because of the experiences you've had. But at the time, how did you believe that? Yeah, I mean, it was my first 100K, actually. <laughs> it was the first 100K I'd ever done. Uh, luckily, I'd raced in Europe twice before that. Uh, I'd raced a 50K and a, a 50-miler. That's the spring before uh, CCC. Uh, didn't do very well. <laughs> actually did terrible. And so I was a little nervous going into CCC. I was like, can I do this? It's my first 100K. Like the, the other two times I've raced in Europe, I've done terrible. Like, I don't know what's going, what's going to happen. But I, I think also like there's strength in, in kind of having, being blind to it, mm -hmm. you know, not knowing what to expect, you know, with it being my debut, I didn't know what to expect. All, all I knew is that I was going to go out there, run hard, do the best that I could do. And, uh, and that's all that I could do. And, uh, luckily that, that worked out for me, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can't say that I, I was completely confident, but I, I think I, at the time I, I had enough confidence and I also kind of had that, uh, blind, blind confidence going into it that, that helped a ton. Okay. So what's your sweet spot? Is the hundred K now your sweet spot? Yeah, I would say 100K. I'd say 50 mile, 80K to, to 100K is definitely my sweet spot. That's that's the races I enjoy the most mm -hmm. at the at the present time. Um, but that being said, like I want to be a good 100 mile runner. And but there's a learning curve. Every step you take, you know, from 50K to 100K, from 100K to 100 mile, there's a learning curve. And so I'm in that learning curve mm -hmm. process right now where I'm trying to learn exactly how to to master these hundred milers and i'll be honest with you, that motivates me and inspires me more than anything um because it's a challenge and i've never backed down from a challenge and i definitely want to learn how to be a good hundred mile runner but i would say i'm pretty confident and, and pretty good at the, the 80k to 100k distance okay let's talk about the hundred mile distance you've you've started two right yes yep okay so you started one what one was that the first one. Yeah, UTMB. So I, I went all in on the, the biggest one. At first. <laughs> <laughs> go big or go home. Um, yeah. Tell us what happened there. Uh, I DNF'd halfway through at 50 miles. I just wasn't prepared. Mm. I wasn't in a good mental headspace. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I just didn't like enjoy it at the time. I, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I maybe was just not, uh, I wasn't in a, in, a, in a good mindset, I would say going into it. Um, and yeah, I, I just had a really bad go through the night because uh, the race starts late at night and you, you go through the night, you run through the night and you finish the next day. And I went through the night and just the whole night I was like, why am I here? Mm. I don't even want to be here. I want to be home. I want to be sleeping. I, I don't want to be doing this. So when I got to 50 miles, I just gave up and was like, man, this is not, this is not going to happen. Um, but honestly, looking back on that, that was a turning point in my career. I've learned more from the hard races than the good races. And that race really has taught me so much of what I need to do to prepare, how I need to prepare for the demands of each race, uh, what type of training I need to do, and what I want to do and what inspires me. And, uh, you know, it's even though I, I DNF'd and, and at the moment I wasn't enjoying it, it motivates me more than 
anything to go back to that race and and to show myself that I can accomplish it or accomplish it. And uh, I just, yeah, I, I look at that as a turning point in my career. Well, and I I just feel like it's important to like bring that up because of all of the accomplishments you have had since then. And sometimes people don't see the DNF at UTMB. Like if someone just started following your career like a year ago or two years ago, you know, Um, and the fact that you can learn so much from those big races that didn't go so well. Yeah, I've actually been more consistent in my career since that race than before that race. Like I've been very consistent, I feel, um, you know, the last few years, you know, mm-hmm. since that race happened. And I think it was because of that race, because I learned from that race that I wasn't training for the demands. I wasn't focused on the things that I needed to be doing. I, I was so focused on training hard, but not training smart mm. and uh, doing the little things that it takes to win these these big ultras. And since then, I've started to do that. I focus on the demands. You know, every rate, every run I do, every workout I do has purpose now. And it's geared around the next race that I'm running and how each uh, demand of that race is going to be met. And, and so as I've done that since UTMB DNF, I've been very consistent and I've had a lot of success in the races that I've done. Hey, everybody. I want to let you know that I have some training plans on my website, lindsayhine.com for half marathons and marathons. There are four half marathon plans and three marathon plans from beginner to advanced that include pace charts, detailed training, pre and post runs, stretching and strength. I put a lot into these plans that I really believe in uh, years of marathoning and experience coaching runners. I think they're conservative and their mileage. My goal is that nobody gets hurt. And I always say, listen to your body. Um, through the end of January, you can use the code Lindsay five. That's L I N D S E Y number five. And that will save you $5 off those training plans. So you have like another week to use that code. Uh, all right, friends, if you are enjoying the content here, you can find more content for me when you check out my podcast for parents called why is everyone yelling and uh, we also have a patreon page patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine when you support the show there you get bonus episodes conversations with my husband Glenn and I and actually just this month we recorded a bonus episode with my friend Sarah Canny which was really fun we're going to be bringing back uh, returning guests on the Patreon page once a month now. So um, I was just trying to develop like what is 2022 on Patreon going to look like? And for right now, I think it's going to look like one episode a month with Glenn, my husband and I, where you just kind of get behind the scenes conversations with our family and training and business stuff, random pop culture stuff. We like to talk about music and stuff like that a lot. And then one returning guest type of episode where you're walking away with something to ponder or think about. Sarah Candy and I in this last episode discussed making sure you don't have any leaks in your cup and taking care of yourself and things like that. It was a really great conversation. Um, again, you can get access to that extra content at patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine. All right, friends. I hope you enjoy the rest of my conversation here with Hayden. Um, let's talk about what you're racing this year. I, I saw you post your schedule and you said that 
um, you were taking a less is more approach with the schedule. So talk to us about this first race coming up, the Coastal Challenge in Costa Rica. That's pretty soon. Yes, next week. Stage race <laughs> so. too. What's the st- like? Tell us about the stage race. What does that consist of? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I've done. The, I did this race before, actually, in 2019, um, and I took second. And so I'm kind of wanting to go back and win it. You know, get a little revenge on it. Um, I wasn't ready. Again, this was before UTMB and everything. I wasn't ready for the demands of the, the heat of Costa Rica. It's really hot. I mean, every day you're running in extremely hot, muggy, humid, you know, temperatures. And then you're sleeping at night in a tent in the same temperatures because it doesn't cool down because oh, it's, it's just very humid. And so you're just dealing with heat, you know, nonstop for a week straight. And so every day with a stage race, every day you run a certain distance. Um, and then, you know, you finish that day, you pretty much go straight you get some food and you go straight to bed and you Mm. try to recover as much as possible for the next day and the next day and the next day. And then it goes on for six days straight. And then the combined time Mm. over those six days wins the race. And, uh, and so there's a lot of like little strategies people use, you know, sometimes they go really hard on day one and try to get like a big time gap. And then they try to, keep it controlled the rest of the the week so that they can just kind of win off of that first race or that first day. But you're racing fairly hard every day. Um, For me, I'm using it, yes, as a race. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to push and I'm going to try to win the thing. But I'm also using it as a great training week Mm. um, to prepare me for uh, an even bigger race that's three weeks after Trans Gran Canaria, which is in Spain. It's a 128-kilometer race in, in, on the island of Gran Canaria in Spain. And so I, I'm using it in a few ways, like training, yes, for the volume, for the vert that I'm going to get at Costa Rica, but also the heat because Trans-Gran Canaria is hot. And then I'm doing Western States again in June, and that's going to be really hot. And so I'm hoping I can learn a lot about how to manage my, the heat and how to hydrate properly and fuel properly during this week training race in Costa Rica. And so that'll be my first uh, race of the uh, year. And yes, it's next week. And so I did a workout in the snow today and I'll be in Costa Rica next week uh, doing uh, running in some really hot temperatures. (laughs) Have you like talked to any, like, do you talk to people about the heat training? I followed Sally McRae pretty closely when she won Badwater, you know, this year and, and, heard her talking about like the different things she did to acclimate to being ready to work really hard in the heat. What do you, what are your strategies with that? Yeah. I mean, a few things, uh, getting experience in the heat, racing in the heat. That's why I picked Costa Rica. Um, that's why I picked trans Grand Canaria cause they're really hot races. I'm hoping that those races will help me for Western States because Western States is of course really hot in June. And so I'm just trying to get experience. The more experience is, is always better. Um, the other thing I do is, is I have a heat protocol that I go through two weeks before each race. Because um, really, it takes about two weeks to adapt to the heat. Mm. You don't want to be doing it the entire block because you'll just drain yourself. Mm. You'll completely destroy yourself. Uh, while I do get in the sauna, you know, two or three days a week during the whole block, uh, when I go into my heat protocol two weeks before a hot race, I'm in the sauna every day. Mm. Um, 
you know, and then I, I get, I do a lot of indoor training too, especially if I'm, it's winter right now, you know, here in, in Utah. And, and so it's, it's cold, it's snowy. And so I'll do some indoor training, you know, I'll get on the treadmill. Um, I'll turn on some space heaters. Um, I'll get on my bike indoors and I'll just sweat. And then right after I do those sessions, I'll jump straight into the sauna. So I'm doing, you know, an hour to two hours of just good heat, sweating and getting used to just managing myself. The other thing um, that I've done is is hydration, focusing on my hydration, which has been a, a problem for me with heat in the past. I just wasn't hydrating enough and I wasn't doing the right type of hydration. And so what I ended up doing a couple weeks ago, I went down to California and I got a, a sweat test done at a lab down in California. So I know exactly how much mm -hmm. sodium um, I need to be putting into my system. I know exactly how mu what my sweat rate is. And so I'm able to focus on that. And, and I work on that every day in training, especially in workouts and long runs, making sure that I'm, I'm getting that hydration in and I'm, I'm getting my gut and, and my mind and everything trained to take in that type of hydration. Man, you can't mess that up. You know, like at the level you're training, like you put in all of this, like you dedicate your life to this. Like you can't mess that that hydration up. Are you a heavy sweater? Are you a medium sweater? I've learned a little bit about about sweat tests. I'm actually a low sweater, okay. um, but I'm but I'm a moderate uh, sodium output, I guess. Okay. And so I have to make sure I'm getting the right amount of sodium per liquid, just because I don't sweat a lot. So it's not like I need to be putting a ton in but I need to have the right concentration I, yeah. because you have to have that balance with sodium and, and water. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's kind of like at some point, I don't know what level, you know, you need to be at to like take this serious enough, but it's like, if you're going to put so much into a sport, even if you're doing this at like a, an everyday runner kind of level, but you want to test your limits to the best possible, you know, at the best possible way, I think that everybody should figure that out because we're all so unique. I mean, it's like, and it could really mess up your race if your sodium's off. Yeah. You know, I like to think of myself as a true pro, you know, I, I go all in, you know, I've done that my whole life and, and I'm a professional, you know, and if I'm going to be professional, I need to do everything it takes, you know, and, and if I have a problem, which I have had issues with hydration in the past, you know, it, it came to hurt me at, like I said, Coastal Challenge a few years ago, uh, Trans Grand Canary, which I've done before. I had issues with hydration there a couple years ago, and I had issues at, at Western States last year with hydration. So finally, after the third time, I was like, I need to do something about this. You know, I'm a mm -hmm. pro. I, I talk about going all in. I talk about training smart. Well, I need to go get a sweat test. I need to be working on this because that's the element that's destroying these races. It's mm -hmm. not that I'm not fit. I'm completely fit going into these races. It's just that my hydration's off. And, you know, especially in these long events, you know, you look at like Ironman athletes too, like with Kona, Kona's really, really hot. Um, you get off on your hydration at all, it can destroy your race. And, and uh, especially when you're out there for 15, 20 hours, whatever it is, or you're doing multi-day stuff, you have to get the hydration down because not only does it help with, you know, the in-race stuff, but it helps with the recovery mm -hmm. after as well. And, uh, and so I've really focused on that, um, this, this year, and I think it's going to be great, you know, going into this, this new year of racing. That's really exciting because I, Western States last year. So you think the sodium was a big problem with the race? 
Yeah, it was it was just the hydration in general. Hydration. Um, yes, my my levels were not where they should have been, but also with the sodium. But also, I just wasn't taking enough mm. water in. Um, you know, I didn't take into account the the heat. You know, like I was like, oh, I'm a light sweater. I can just drink <laughs> this much. But then when it's 115 degrees outside and you're in a canyon, you know, next to a river, so it's a little humid and you're sweating a ton and it's really hot. Like you have to adapt that a little bit, right? And and I just didn't train enough for that with the hydration. And I got kind of cocky and, and was mm. like, I, I'm just going to not carry water with me. Like I'm not going to carry an extra bottle because it's going to weigh me down when I should have carried the extra bottle because it ended up destroying my race, you know. And yes, like while I, I, I did really well for 92 miles – I mean, I was in second place for 92 miles, oh, feeling really strong, you know, running against Jim Walmsley, who's considered the, the best ever on the Western States course. I was like, second place finished to Jim on my debut, yeah. you know, <laughs> wouldn't be a bad result. But I sh- my body shut down at 92 miles because of hydration. That was oh. 100% it. I just couldn't go. My body completely shut down. And uh, it was because I just was completely dehydrated i mean my urine was the color of coke yeah. you know it just wasn't a good situation to be in and and so i was like that's the only thing mm-hmm. that you know prevented me from taking second place good lord i don't think i knew that you were up there until mile 92 maybe i did at the time i fought fo- i usually follow the race pretty closely there's a you know i follow on twitter and kind of get the updates but man 92 miles and then Good Lord. Okay. So we're, we're back for some redemption with some yeah. extra hydrated things happening. I'll tell you this much. It, it really sucks when uh, you're laying on the trail, literally can't move because your muscles are completely cramped and they, they will not function. You're throwing up all over the place. You're dizzy and, and you just can't even stay on the trail and you're laying on the side of the trail and you just see well, there goes third place mm. passing me. There goes fourth place. There goes fifth place. And you can't do anything about it. And then you go, you finally get to the aid station. You walk to the aid station. You have to sit in a chair for almost two hours and you see sixth and seventh place go past you. And then finally, like you get rehydrated because the doctor allows you to leave the aid station. And you're like, well, I'm just going to walk to the finish line. And yeah, it just was not a good thing because I was sitting there like I can't do nothing and all these people are passing me. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm happy I finished, that's but impressive. at the same time, yeah. I need the redemption. And so that's the main goal this year is to go back to Western States, is to get that ad- redemp- redemption and finish those last eight miles mm. strong. 92 miles. Wow. that's That's pretty crazy. Well, we can't list like every race you've won because there's like a huge, huge list. I'm looking at your um, website right now, kind of scrolling through. And rather than reading them off, I guess let's have you say like, what has been your most meaningful win to date? Ooh, that's, that's a tough one. Um, Probably Lavaredo 2018, um, that was, uh, 120 kilometer in the Dolomites in Italy that I had won. It's considered one of the most competitive races in Europe. One of the most competitive races in the world. 
it's the same weekend as Western States, so it kind of gets overlooked mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was probably the most competitive field I have ever been in. Um, and besides maybe UTMB and Western States, possibly. But, it, um, yeah, I, I was able to pull out the victory there. And I think why that one means so much to me is it proved to me that that I'm good at this 100-kilometer distance and that I, I can be really good at the long, long stuff, which I enjoy because it was my second big win. You know, I'd won CCC in 2017 and coming back and be able to win another really big re- race, you know, um, was really, you know, solidified that I can do this and gave me a lot of confidence, but also how I fought in that race. Mm. It wasn't a perfect day. It was really hard. You know, I, I fell back into like eighth place with uh, 40K to go. Wow. And I was able to go from eighth place to winning by eight minutes or something in the last 40 kilometers of the race. And just I fought through a lot of demons. I fought through a lot of really hard moments in that race. And I showed myself that I was capable of, of pushing myself beyond even I thought possible. And it was definitely a, a turning point in my career. Um, and it helped me fall in love with the sport even more, fall in love with, with Europe, and, and fall in love with this, this racing. Do you, have you had like mental training to be so tough out there? Uh, every day when you're training, it's mental training, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I don't think, I mean, when I grew up, I, uh, my parents were awesome. Mm. I'll just tell you that much. I mean, my dad, he pushed us, mm-hmm. you know, he, he really, I mean, he was an awesome dad though. He pushed us, but he did it in a very good way. I mean, he let us make decisions and and make the choices that we wanted to make but when he said he he would tell us you know you make the decision you tell me what you want to do and then when you when you decide what you want to do I'm going to be there for you to support you in any way I possibly can I'm going to push you in that and you make sure that you dedicate yourself to that and you do everything you can to be the best that you can once you make that decision and so my dad was this awesome I mean he he was my coach growing up. He trained me a lot, you know, throughout my entire life. He taught me how to work hard. He taught me, you know, to never give up and just be tough. And uh, I really look up to my dad for that because, you know, if it wasn't for him, I, I definitely wouldn't be the person I am today. Uh, do your siblings run? Are they? Do they do sports? I have one brother, okay. uh, so it's just me and him. Okay. Um, he's three years younger than me. Yeah, and, and he runs as well. He's an ultra runner now. He he kind of followed in my footsteps, I guess. Uh, it's kind of funny. Like I like before I started running, nobody in my family ran. <laughs> you know, my my dad's not a runner. Like, you know, nobody in my family were runners. And then all of a sudden, like my mom started running, my brother started running. You know, and it's like it's awesome to see. You know, and they both have run ultras now. My mom's done Ironmans. Oh, that's and, so cool. And so it's, it's really cool. And, uh, me and my brother, we, we train together, you know, every now and then he just lives down the road from me, like 30, 40 minutes down the, down the highway from me. So we were able to do a lot together and and he's actually a pretty good runner himself. Honestly, I think he's more talented than me. Uh Um, (laughs) yeah, but he, uh, I mean, he works a lot and he has some other things that he has to do. And, but, uh, he's, uh, he's very, very talented runner. And, uh, yeah, we, we, we share that together. 
Um, how old was your mom when she did her for her Iron Man? Do you know? Uh, maybe in her forties. That's so sure. cool. It's so cool yeah. when your kids like fall in love with something and then you fall in love with it just from like watching their experience. I remember in high school when I ran cross country, my mom had never run before either. And she, she worked out though. You know, I remember her doing like lunges in the driveway with her squat bar and things like that. Like go into exercise classes. But when I started running cross country, she just like, I don't know, she discovered it herself and then she ran several marathons. And I think that's such a gift that kids can give their parents. Yeah. And it's, it's the same way with my mom, exactly what you just said with your mom. It's the same with my mom. And, and now even my dad, like my, my dad doesn't run, but he, he'll go for hikes, you know, mm-hmm. long hikes or, or he'll do walks every single day. And, and it's really cool because it's not only like, uh, I mean, it's helping their health. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the cool thing. It's probably extended their lives, you know, and, and that's the cool thing about running. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Running is, has been such a blessing to my family. I mean, it's, it's honestly, I'm so grateful for it. I mean, I get to take my family around the world. You know, my parents have come and supported me in, in Europe and see these amazing places. You know, my mom never even left the country mm-hmm. until I started running ultra marathons and I started racing out in Europe and she's like, I want to support you. And so she's comes, she comes out and, and I'm able to like support them. You know, they did so much for me growing up that I'm able to help them now. And, you know, pay for the housing or something in Europe and they're able to go and see all these amazing places. And it's, it's all been because of running, because I decided to get into running and, and because, you know, it, it's literally changed our lifestyles and, and helped us and blessed us in so many ways. That is so cool. Okay. So now that you're a dad, I always like struggle with this with my kids. Like how much do you push them? You know what I mean? Versus like letting them just explore and, and be kids. Like at what age and what point, and I know your kids are still young, but like I really think about that a lot because the joy that you see someone like you, for instance, like really leaning into their talent and then becoming very successful and having a career out of it, like you want that for your kids if it could be a possibility no matter what the sport is or what the um, the thing they love is. So your parents obviously did a good job with that. What is your mindset with that as a dad now? Um, I think, you know, I don't push my kid. I mean, my kids are still pretty yeah. young, but but I don't push them to run. You know, like I, I never bring running up to them. I just bring up key elements like like learning moments. You know, if if they're, you know, they're having a moment or there's a learning opportunity, you know, I'll bring stuff up like, you know, about working hard or, you know, having goals or, you know, and, and I think the other thing that we try to do is we try to go out outdoors as much as possible. You know, we like, we like to go hiking as a family, you know, we do rock climbing as a family. We do all these little things, you know, when, when we're out living in Europe or in Chamonix, um, we go and pick berries up in the mountains and, and spend the entire day out in the mountains. And, uh, you know, it's just teaching our kids to love the outdoors, teaching our kids to, to love being active, you know, to love doing things and, and not just sitting inside and watching TV all day or playing video games or different things like that. And I think if you can teach your kids these, these little key elements like that, um, you know, they'll probably gravitate more towards 
the things that that are going to help them in their lives most um you know and, and maybe they'll end up being runners and if that's the case i would love that but if not you know it is what it is and and i just hope that they'll be successful human beings and and that they'll help other people and that they'll be a, a positive influence in this world and if that's all that they are that's all that that matters to me and uh i, I just want to teach them the the key elements that that i think are important yeah, I love that. Work hard, help other people. You know, I know. And that's the other thing is like teaching them. And your your kids are still super young. Is your oldest four? Yeah, he turns five this year. Okay. Are you guys going to homeschool or what are you going to do? Because do they travel around to races with you? Yeah. I mean, he'll uh, he'll start preschool or kindergarten next year. Okay. So 2023. Um, so we've kind of wanted to take advantage of the time, you know, where we can kind of travel a little bit more. Um, and so, yeah, we, we do travel. We usually spend our summers in Europe. Um, this year we're going to spend four or five months out in Europe. Cool. Um, and we bring our kids with us. Yeah. Uh, we want, I, I've always said this, like if I get these experiences, I want to share them with my family, you know, and, and I don't want to be gone for four or five months, you know, racing in Europe and, and be alone out there by myself. Like, you know, I want to bring my family with me. And so we go out there, we have fun. We, we usually put our kids like last year, we put our, our son in a little summer camp out there where he's still getting educated. You know, he's still learning things out in, in Europe, in France. Um, and he, you know, and, and he gets to have these experiences as well. And so, yeah, we, we're not going to homeschool. Like we'll, we'll start uh, kindergarten and, and he'll go to school. Um, but we're, we're actually thinking about maybe uh, making a little bit of a move before that happens. So, is that some like move where? Uh, to Europe. Oh, so, really? Yeah, full time. We really? We've been really. Yeah, we've been really contemplating it. A lot of the races I do are in Europe. We love Europe. We love the lifestyle. Wow. Um, we think it would be awesome to have an experience with the family. You know, living out there for a few years. Um, our kids would come back fluent in French or totally. Italian or whatever, wherever we're living. And we just think like now's the time because before my son starts school, we kind of have to make that choice. And, uh, I foresee myself running big mountain ultras, uh, in the near and far future and the best place to train and, and race, uh, for those is in Europe. Do it. Yes. That sounds amazing. I think that is the coolest experience you could ever give your kids. I, That is so freaking cool. And if you move back to the States when your kid's in like second grade or third grade, it's fine. Yeah, and, and I only adjust. have, you know, I only have a, a small amount of time to do this, you know, like I'm in my prime right now and, and now's the time that I want to take advantage of that and really go all in and do what I need to do and and I feel like this move could really mm -hmm. do amazing things for my career and, and also just help my family grow and, and help my kids have these experiences. And and to be 100% honest with you, we're, we're going to do it. I know I've been kind of uh, <laughs> wishy-washy, but we've already <laughs> planned it. We, we've already got it all planned out. We, we've committed. We're, we're moving to Europe in 20, the beginning of 2023 okay. as long as we can get a visa and as long as everything works out. Um, that is the, the plan right now. Are you announcing that on this podcast? Does the world know? 
Uh, I don't think everybody knows. <laughs> we, I've talked to a few people about it, but I've never posted about it or anything. But yeah, I, I guess I'm kind of announcing it. You kind of brought it out. So. <laughs> we're we're no, coming out on Friday. A, yeah, it's not a big deal. I mean, it's yeah, we're, we're going to do it. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity. I don't think we'll live there forever. Yeah. I think we'll we'll spend, you know, at least four years out there, maybe a little bit longer. Um, and then we'll we'll come back to the States at some point. Um, maybe boring question and we'll move on. Are you selling your house? What does that look like? Uh, we'll probably rent our house. Rent it out. Thinking. Yeah. 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 Nice. We, we're in a pretty good situation here and yeah. we plan on coming back to this area. Uh-huh. This is where our family is and we love it here, but, um, yeah, we'll probably end up doing that. Yeah. That's smart. Good. Um, okay. So Western States, we're going back for redemption. You're going back to UTMB and then I don't know about this October race. I don't. I'm not like super well versed in the ultra scene. Tell us about the October race. Yeah, well, so I'm not running the actual UTMB. The oh, the CCC. Miler. Yes. CCC, yeah, I'm sorry. running CCC the hundred k. So I'm going back to that. Which yeah. I, I just felt like the double, the Western States UTMB double, is the two hundreds. You know, within eight weeks is really tough double. Um, but I think the Western States CCC double is possible. Um, but I. I will commit to running, going back to the UTMB, the 100-mile race in 2023 is the plan, um, and giving full board into that. But right this year, it's full board going into Western mm. States. Um, that's my A race, my A-plus race, whatever okay. you want to call it. Um, and then, yeah, this, the other race is La Templier mm-hmm. in October. It's in France as well. It's in uh, October. Um, so the thought behind that is – of course, we, we just talked about moving to Europe. We want to go and, and check out some places that we're, we're contemplating moving to. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to do a little some little training camps out there, fill it out, see where we want to go. And then I'm going to finish our travel out there with this race, La Templier. It's, if, if people don't know about La Templier, it is one of the most competitive. And I think it's actually the biggest number-wise uh, ultra marathon in Europe. Um, it's one of the oldest as well. It's been going on forever. Um, it's an 80 kilometer, so a 50 mile race out there in Europe and really, really competitive. Um, Hoka sponsors it. So that helps me as well Mm -hmm. as a Hoka athlete, but yeah, it's a race I've always wanted to do. Um, it's a more runnable course, uh, for European standards. Um, but it's an, from what I've heard, it's an awesome experience. Um, some of the best ultra runners of all time have gone out and ran it and have won it. Um, it's just not on the radar of a lot of Americans just because, uh, it's kind of a late season race. Um, most people kind of look at UTMB as Mm -hmm. like the end. Um, but yeah, La Templier is probably top three most competitive races in Europe. And it, it's an awesome race that I'm excited to do in October. How long have you been sponsored by Hoka? So after Spigo in 2016, I picked up the sponsor with okay. Hoka. Yeah, Hoka sponsored Spigo as well. And okay. so they they saw me, you know, after I, I'd won that race and they, they picked me up. I, I ran for Hoka from 2016 to 2019. Okay. And then I actually switched sponsors for about a year and a half. Uh, I went to ultra, um, 2019 through 20, a little bit into 2020. And then I switched back to Hoka, 
2020 to, to present now. Okay. I don't know that I've ever talked to someone that's done that before, like gone left a sponsor for a short period of time and then gone back to that sponsor. Was that complicated? Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a tad bit, not too bad. (laughs) Um, to be honest with you, both sponsors were amazing and they've been really easy to work with. And I'm very grateful for both sponsors for Hoka and Ultra. Um, it all came down to, um, like, uh, a product thing. Mm, sure. Um, it wasn't that I didn't like ultra. I, I like the, the company. They're a great company and the product works for many, many people. It just didn't work for me. Um, I couldn't run in the shoes. I, mm. I kept getting injured. I kept having problems with the shoes and I just had to go back to Hoka because I have been healthy. I've had this amazing races, um, great training with Hoka's and Hoka just work for me. They, they really work for me, um, with my biomechanics, with my stride, with everything that I'm doing. And, uh, I, I just, I love Hoka. I love the people. Um, it's a family. It's, it's a, it's an amazing company to run for. And I love what they're doing in the sport. You know, they're, they're putting so much into the sport. They're helping grow the sport. Um, and, and it's just an amazing company to be a part of. And, uh, most importantly, the product works for me. And that's the biggest thing is like, if I want a long career, if I want to win races, I have to be running in a product that works for me because if I'm injured all the time, I'm never going to progress. I'm never going to win. And so that's the sole reason that I, I went back to Hoka and I plan on staying with Hoka for the rest of my career. If, if they'll have me. Oh, that's so good. Um, the, I'm probably going to say it wrong. The, is it the Mach 4, Mach 4, M-A-C-H? Yeah, the Mach 4, the road shoe. Those are my favorite running shoes I've ever run in. That's my favorite road shoe as well. When I do stuff on the roads or, or runnable trail, um, I'll be in the Mach 4 as well. It's, that's my go-to. And then when I'm out on the trails, uh, I really like the, the Speed Goat. Um, the new speed goat five, I'm actually testing out the new speed goat five and I'm testing out the new tecton X. And I'll tell you, those shoes are money. <laughs> they are amazing. Um, the upgrades on them are just spot on. And, uh, I've been training in those recently and man, I, I just really, really love those shoes. But yeah, I, I'm a, a speed goat guy when it, when it comes to the trails and a mock guy when it comes to the roads, they're just so comfortable. I feel like, and I actually, my Achilles has been bugging me lately and I, I just ordered a new pair of those because I was like, I got to go back to those shoes because I feel like my body just received my running a lot better when I wore them. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the big, I'm a, I'm a pretty high volume guy. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I do quite a bit of training and to have that little extra cushion uh-huh. and, uh, it really helps a ton. Like I, I feel like I can handle more training load when I'm, when I'm wearing Hoka's and uh, I just, yeah, I, I everything about them is just perfect for my, like I said, my foot, my foot strike, my biomechanics, uh, how I recover with the shoes, especially with ultra running. You know, when you're out there for twenty plus hours, it's nice to have a little cushion. To be honest with you. <laughs> okay, before we wrap up with into podcasts, which we're gonna do very soon, uh, tell us, like, you know, I know you mentioned you listen to podcasts when you run. Do you listen to music? Do you go solo? Do you spend time like meditating, praying, thinking when you're in the mountains that you spend so many, t- so many hours in the mountains? There's a lot, 
a lot to do with your head during those times. A little bit of everything you mentioned, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, it kind of depends on what part of the race or like what I'm doing. If I'm going really hard in a workout where I'm really not going to be able to like think much because I'm going hard or like I'm not going to be able to really take in all the views, I'll put some headphones in, you know, I'll, I'll listen to some music, I'll listen to a podcast just because I, I'm really trying to get into that zone and just push myself. And I feel like a little bit of music helps with that. Mm -hmm. It takes my mind off of the pain a little bit and it helps me just be able to, to push a little bit harder. If, if I'm running an ultra where I'm running through the night, you know, I'm not seeing much. Like I, I'm in tunnel vision. I have my headlamp on and I'm just looking straight ahead, trying not to, to fall. I'll, I'll throw in some music and it helps me get through the night, especially when you start getting sleepy and you're just like, man, I, I, I don't, I like my, my, my brain's just not working properly. You listen to a little bit of music or a podcast and it can help you get through a lot of those night night runs or night races. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll listen to music at points like that. I mean, if I'm on top of a peak, you know, doing an easy day where I'm just wanting to really enjoy the sounds of nature, you know, meditate a little bit, pray a little bit, then I won't put the headphones on and, and I'll take the time to really just think and contemplate. And so, it, it just depends on, on the, the training I'm doing for the day and how I feel. Um, but yeah, I, I do a little bit of both. Um, all right. Well, I guess we have to wrap up within the podcast. I know if anybody's a big fan of ultra running, they're probably like you glazed over so many big races that he has won or, you know, had course records in, but there's only so much we can get to in the hour we talk. So, um, you know, I have like in my notes, the JFK 50 miler and the, the course records you set there. And there's so many other races, but, um, it's been an honor to just hear a little snippet of some of the most important races and to hear about what's on your schedule for this year. Yeah. You know, like, like you said before, I, I'm taking, I'm taking the, the less is more approach this year. I I've been known as, as racing a lot, you know, in the past, like I've done years where I've done 12 to 15 races in a year wow. and that's just too much. Yeah. And while, while, while looking back, I, I wouldn't have changed it because I gained a lot of experience that's helping me now. Um, I'm getting to the point in my career now where I, I really want to focus on the big ones and making sure I'm ready for each one of the big ones. Cause I want to win the big ones, mm -hmm. uh, like the Western States and the UTMBs and stuff like that. And so I, I know to win those, I have to be dialed in and I, and I have to be fresh. I have to be healthy. And I can't do that racing 12 times a year. You know, I can do that racing four or five times a year. And so that's what I'm going to focus on for the rest of my career is racing less, uh, being able to train a little bit harder and just really dial in and, and be ready for the big ones and be ready when it counts. It's going to be really exciting to see what you do at Western States. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, that's that's the one I'm going for this year. So. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, all right. What's something professionally or personally that you would like to do that you haven't done yet? Win Western States. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, besides win Western States, uh, I think we've already talked about it in the podcast. I, I'd like to move to Europe mm. and experience that and that lifestyle. Um, and I would also like, like learn how to schemo while I'm out there um, learn how to climb big mountains while I'm out there. Um, do some, like, like some mountaineering type stuff and, uh, my career, I'd like to win UTMB. hundred, the, the, the real UTMB. 
Yeah, the big one. That's that's kind of our that's our World Series. I mean, that's our our big boy. I mean, the uh, UTMB is is the championship. It's the championship. Yeah, and I and I make that distinction because we do have ultra runners that listen. But even when I first started interviewing ultra runners, I didn't know the like difference between UTMB and CCC, you know, like the different races of the weekend. So UTMB is the 100 mile. That's the big dog championship. But the same weekend, there's the 100K, which is CCC, correct? Yeah. And there's also OCC, which is 50K. Okay. And and those are all championships now. Like there's this new series called the UTMB World Series that's going on. And UTMB 100 mile is the 100 mile world championship. CCC 100K is the 100K world championship. And OCC 50K is the 50K world championship. So if you win one of those races, you're considered a, a world champion now in those respected distances. Um, but uh, UTMB is the biggest. King. I mean, it is the king. And that's the one everybody wants to win. The two biggest races in the world if you're not familiar with ultra running, are UTMB and Western States. Um, those are the ones, those are like winning Boston Marathon or New York Marathon or London, whatever roadrunners consider the two biggest marathons in the world. That UTMB and Western States are our two biggest majors. Yeah, I mean, we you have the marathon majors. I don't know what's the pinnacle. I mean, I would put New York over Chicago, but I don't know why, really. You know, like New York and London, I guess, would be the two that I would choose. No, I guess New York and Boston. I don't know. I would probably choose Boston and London. Okay. You kind of need one on each side of the world, sure. I would say. Yeah. Um, and I think London is definitely the biggest one in Europe. Uh-huh. Um, and I would say Boston's definitely the yeah. biggest one in, in the U.S. So I would say Boston's like Western States and London's like UTMB. Okay. There we have it. Um, okay. So we're moving to London or we're moving to Europe. We're going to win Western States. We're going to win in 2023 UTMB. Okay. Those are the big, the big things, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the plan. And so hopefully that works out. Um, it, 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 I don't know <laughs> if I, I, I mean, I want, I mean, this year, yes, Western States, I know I can win it. And, and that's the plan. UTMB, I, I plan on going out there and winning it in 2023, but it, it might take a couple of years. And so that's why I'm giving my, myself a, a little cushion moving out to Europe and making sure I dial in things. That's awesome. Uh, what's the best, most recent book you've read? Uh, probably I, I have a really good friend in the ultra running world named Hillary Allen. Oh yeah. Um, she just read a book or wrote a book called out and back. Um, it's an awesome book. Definitely, uh, recommend it if you want a, a good motivational book and, and something that will maybe motivate you to get into some more trails too. I've heard really good things about that book. Um, who's someone fun, motivating or inspiring that you would like to have coffee, tea or cocktail with? So I'm a big cyclist. Uh, I, I do a lot of cycling in my training. Um, I, I'm a big cycling fan. Um, that's I'm really actually excited to to move to Europe so I can take part and and watch more of like the Tour de France and the Giro and some of these big cycling tours out in Europe. Um, one of my my favorite cyclists of all time is a guy named Mark Cavendish. Oh yeah, I've um, heard of him. Yes, he's a British cyclist. Uh, one of the best, if if not the best cyclist ever, 
Um, he's got more, st- or I think he tied the stage win record this year. Um, and he'll probably come back this year and, and try to beat that stage win record. Um, but I, I like Mark just because he's a very humble guy, it seems like, too. Um, very level-headed, down-to-earth. Um, he's got a family. He's a father. And, and all those little elements mean a lot to me because I feel like I could learn a lot from him. And so the dream would be to go and, and do a, a ride with him. You know, maybe in the Alps somewhere, oh. and we could we could stop at stop at a coffee shop and and talk a little bit, and then continue our ride. <laughs> See, I love when people say guests like or people answer this question with like kind of a a big dream person, but like it's doable. Like you can make that happen. Yeah, maybe I'll reach out to him and see if you he'll should. Do it. But, uh, you totally he's definitely should. A, he's definitely a big name, and so uh, give him your know. credentials. You won yeah. CCC. <laughs> list just just in the email. List all the ultras that you have won. <laughs> maybe I'll make a sign and and be out at the tour. Like, I love you, Mark Cavendish. Will you have coffee with me? No, I'm, I'm a serious kidding. athlete too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. He he just seems like a really cool guy, and uh, I I really respect him as a as a writer and as an athlete and as a as a person. Okay, let me ask you just a quick question about that though, because. Ever since the whole Lance Armstrong thing, I am just jaded with cycling and I don't want to be. And anytime someone gets popped for doping with running as well, I get jaded. I'm like, oh, who's not doping? You know what I mean? So like, how do you not get jaded with cycling? I just don't worry about it too much in general. I mean, you can't sit here and, and think about that too much. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, it, it's happening. Yeah. It's happening in every sport. Um. You know, I, I know personally I'm not doing it, and so I have nothing to worry about. You know, I'm going to go out there and, and do the best that I can with the body that I've been given, and, and and that's all that I can do. I can't sit here and dwell on it and worry about it because it would drive me crazy. Yeah. Um, and, it you know, I, I know a lot of people that they worry so much about it. They think so much about it. You know, I'll stand up against it sure. uh, when when I need to. But I don't, I don't need to sit here and, and worry about it because, like, like I said, I know a lot of people that have worried so much about it that it's driven them into doing it mm-hmm. because they're just like, there's no other way. And it's like, yes, there is another way. You don't have to do it. And, and yes, while it's happening, I, I like to, you know, say innocent till proven guilty. Sure. Um, you know, and, and, and not, not think too much into it. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a healthy perspective. Um, what is our last question here? Oh yeah. What is your last message to leave with our audience today? Uh, I talked about this earlier, but it's something I've been really focusing on. Um, it's the, the importance of controlling what you can control, you know, and I, and I feel like, especially in the world that we live in right now with so much uncertainties with COVID and everything else, I think if you dwell too much on the, the things that you can't control, you're going to drive yourself crazy. You're going to stress yourself out and you're not going to be able to accomplish what you want to accomplish. But if you can focus on what you can control and try to be the best at, at those things, um, then, then it reduces a lot of stress in your life and, and it makes you a better person. Um, and you're able to help more people. You're able to accomplish more, more things, uh, achieve more dreams and, and, and reach more goals. And, and that's one thing that I've been focusing on is compartmentalizing, you know, focusing on one race at a time, one moment at a time, one day at a time, you know, trying to be the best father when I need to be the best father, 
trying to be the best husband when I need to be the best husband, the best, best athlete when I need to be the best athlete, and not sitting here and, and dwelling on the things that I can't control. Um, you know, I, I've had issues with that in the past. I think all of us have, especially in 2020 when, you know, the world was locked down. And it just wasn't healthy to, to be that way. And so as I've shifted that focus and, and changed my mindset about things, I'm, I'm just a way better person and, and I'm so much more happier and, and I'm healthier because of, of that mindset uh, uh, shift. That is a wonderful note to end on. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. And thanks for having me on. And I wish everyone luck in their, their 2022 goals. All right, everybody. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Hayden, for coming on the podcast. It was a joy to talk to you. Uh, you all, if you aren't following Hayden, he's an inspiring person to follow on Instagram. He's Hawks underscore Hayden over there. And you can also find me personally. I am Lindsay Hine 626 on Instagram. We would love to have you join our Facebook group to get in on the conversations about the podcast and the running community. If you need advice on favorite running shorts or races or anything like that, we're always having conversations like that over there. It's just all have another podcast on Facebook. This podcast is part of the Sandy Boy Productions podcast network. If you want to learn more about our network and the shows in the network, go to sandyboyproductions.com. All right, friends. I hope you're having a great day, a great Friday. Have an awesome weekend. And as always, we'll see you next Friday.